So Hebrews chapter one, again, this is the last Sunday that we get to worship in the year on Sunday anyway, in 2020. And it is, I'm going to be honest, it's been a great year. There's been some times that, uh, that I got to spend with my wife that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Some, you know, a, lot of those, a lot of those months we were forced to spend family time. And it was a blessing. And uh, I think uh, I pray that's a blessing for most of y'all, if not all of y'all. Uh, but we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. And I was, I was praying through which message to uh, preach the last message of this year, this very unique year. And uh, I was you know, leaning towards maybe even continuing the Christmas theme and, or going with something new as we approach the new year. And I've kinda, I think the Lord's kind of blessed us this morning with something a little, a little bit in between without forgetting that God became man because that's why we're here. And, but, but going through... A different book, and and I've preached through Hebrews uh, at least a couple times, not through the entire book, but uh, through a few chapters. And this is a message that's going to be from just a few verses there in Hebrews chapter one. So if you don't mind, take your Bible, your copy of the Word of God, and look at chapter one, verse one of the book of Hebrews. The Bible says, "God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets." hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son, he saith, in verse 8, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord... In the beginning hast laid, notice this is God to the Son, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fall. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Now, this chapter here is at one at one approach, at one point, the author of Hebrews is trying to get across is God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. And that's one of the, the big takeaways from this chapter. But there's so much more truths, uh, so many more truths in this passage. As a matter of fact, look at. Verse number five again, it says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And then verse six says, When he bringeth in the first 
begotten in the world, he saith, and let all the angels of, of, of God worship him. So we're going to talk this morning about the first begotten. The Lord Jesus Christ, our first begotten, God's first begotten. So let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you sent your only begotten son to this world, Lord, to die for us, to become man, to become our sin, to become our sin dead on that old rugged cross so many years ago, Lord, paying our sin debt, taking it to the tomb and walking out victoriously sin free. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to meet on this last Sunday in 2020, Lord, a very eventful year, very interesting year. But today, this week, this month, this decade, these are the times that you have made. This is the day that you've made, Lord, and we want to rejoice in it. We want to lift up your holy name, Lord. We want to see you high and lifted up this morning. Lord, I need to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up in my heart, in my mind, in my life. Lord, help us bring you glory this morning. Help us lift up our minds and our thoughts and all of every fiber of our being. And may we worship you this morning. Lord, hear our worship. Lord, we sing to you. We don't sing to each other. We sing to you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We, we preach and we minister to you, Lord. You are our God. You are our Savior, our Redeemer, the first begotten. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house this morning. Bless this time together, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as, I, as we close this Christmas season, if you will, I hope you've been reminded in your reading or in the preaching, just how important that first Christmas was. How important that it was that God became flesh. And after looking at the many passages predicting the birth of God uh, into humanity over the last few weeks, it's important for us also to be reminded, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, that He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself to become man, but He still remained God. As H.A. Ironside used to say, is one of my favorite authors here, he says, Jesus was as much man as if he were never God and as much God as if he were never man. He is the God man, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And while God did not take on the nature of angels, as we see here in Hebrews 1 and other places, he took on the seed of Abraham. He was and is greater than the angels. He's the king of angels. He's the king of all as God and as man. He's the son of God. Look at verse 6. It says, When he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. Friends, Jesus is the first begotten. In other words, and really no surprise to us, but there was something original in Jesus Christ. There was something original in Jesus Christ as a man. He was and is the first begotten. Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 says this, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Actually, I want you to turn there. I want to, I want to do a journey here. Go to Psalm 2. I want to read that again so you can see this. And we're going to jump through some, some passages here. We won't be too long as we get into this message. But look again at Psalm chapter 2, verse number 7. This is an important song. Psalm. It's, the, it's a prophetic psalm. I encourage you to read all the way through it many times. I encourage you to read through the psalms many times. They are 
They are uplifting. If you're ever having a bad day, and we all have bad days, right? Read the Psalms. There's been many times that I just, I'm, I'm going to sleep. There's a lot on my mind, and I'll just put my headphones on and, and listen to Psalms. Have somebody read it to me, and, and I don't know. It's just uplifting. But look at verse number 7 again. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now, take your Bible and go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. If it helps you at all, it's on page 414 in my Bible. <laughs> but this is a very interesting passage. Of course, Solomon has taken the throne from King David. And verse number 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 7 says, And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, that's King David, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. Verse 2 says that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought you up, I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me a house? To God is saying, You've built me a tent. Have I ever told you to build me a house? Verse 8 says, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep goat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto a name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they that may dwell in a place of their own, and more, and move no more. That's the holy land we know as Jerusalem today. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. Look at verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels and will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now, in context, that's referring to Solomon. But the author of Hebrews is going to elevate that. Look at verse number 5. For unto which of the, and back in Hebrews, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Friends, that passage in 2 Samuel is a thousand years before the birth of Christ. And when Jesus comes along, he's, he's speaking and he's ministering to the people. He said, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. That's our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's never been a man like Jesus Christ. And there never will be a man like Jesus Christ. He's the first begotten. He's different. He's, he's God in the flesh. All God and all man. And I believe here in Hebrews chapter 1, there are a few things that we can see about the Lord 
that makes him in a category of his of his own. Look at verses one and two again. He says, God, which which, by the way, I love the book of Hebrews. It starts off. It's the only book of the Bible that starts off with the word God. God, who at sundry times, many times Paul writes, he puts Paul, they put their, they put their, uh, the whoever writes the book at the beginning, but the author of Hebrews starts with God, who at sundry times and at diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. So what's one of the, what's one of the things different about our Lord and Savior? He is the heir of all things. You and I are not the heir of all things. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things because of who he is. You know, that word heir, it's not a strange word for us to understand. It's an easy enough word. Uh, Strong's concordance yields this definition. An heir is one who receives his allotted possession by right of sonship. Makes sense. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. In other words, his inheritance, the inheritance of Jesus Christ, is directly related to his lineage. Because he is the Son of God, he inherits all things of God. He literally, in the most literal sense, has a God-given right to all things. Because He is God, and He is the Son of God. But not only that, God has appointed Him heir. He says, you are God, thy, thy throne, thy scepter will not depart from me. You are God, you are the same uh, substance as I am, to God, God the Father, to God the Son. And more than that, I appoint you heir of all things. There's really no room for argument here. The Scripture records this very clearly. Jesus is the heir of all things. You know, many times... I think at least when I read this in the past, I, I mean, what's the first thing to think of when you say that God is the heir of all things? What do we think of? Maybe we think loft, loftily. We think, well, the mountains are God's. The earth is God's. The stars belong to God. The oceans belong to God. The moon belongs to God. And all these things, we think about these things. The church belongs to God. We think of all these big things. We think of these things that are not close to us. But even those things belong to God. Everything that's good in our life belongs to God. And I understand the, the stricter picture or the greater picture here. In the strictest sense, Christ is heir to all that is eternal and holy. But my stuff, if I, if I can put it so simple, belongs to Him. Everything that I own belongs to God. He is heir to all there is, to all that is worthy of praise and heir to all that is great. In fact, he is the definition of all that is all there is that's holy and praiseworthy and great. But again, everything in my life and everything in your life that is good belongs to Jesus Christ. It belongs to Jesus Christ, my wife. My children, my family, my friends, my church, these things are the most important things in my life. And they belong to God. They are blessings from God. They're His. I mean, think about that as we, as we maybe drive away in our, our car that belongs to Him. It's His car. I think my brother, um, <laughs> he lent... Lent. We actually gave him our dog. Y'all remember my dog I had for a while. He's no longer with us right now. But uh, before I came to Germany back in 2015, 2016, we were worried that he was a little older and he probably couldn't make the flight. He couldn't do all these things. So we gave him to my brother and he was with my brother maybe maybe a month and he got hit by a car and almost killed him. And 
if he were probably with me or if he was probably my brother's dog, it was one of those damaging things, damaging kind of accidents that you would have probably put him down. But he says, I will not do that. This is my brother's dog. I will not do it. He spent who knows how much money in, in fixing our dog. I mean, he's got like two braces in his hips and all kinds of, all kinds of stitches and staples and all kinds of stuff like that. Over $1,000, maybe $2,000. But he did it because in his mind, even though the dog belonged to him, I gave it to him. It was my dog. He wouldn't have done that for his dog. He even told me I would put it down, but not for your dog. I respect you. Now, that's maybe a not so great example, but think about that in what we own in this life. Our cars, our houses, our, our Bibles, our, our wives, our, our husbands, our children. They belong to God. Every little thing, even, even those things we receive as Christmas gifts, belong to God. And they should be further used to honor God. I mean, think about this. If you received... Some reading glasses for Christmas. How could you use them for God? Well, very simply, you could read the Bible. Uh, if you received a new tie for Christmas, maybe you should wear it to church. I'm just, maybe even a pair of socks, wear them to church. I don't know. If you're one of those few that received those box of cordial cherries, you know what I'm talking about in the States, the red box come out, they're very delicious. You don't see them here. If you happen to see them, one way you can be a blessing is to share them with your pastor. They'll be great. <laughs> But we should use the things that God's given us to be a blessing, number one, to serve Him and to serve others. Everything in our life is good because of God. He's the heir of all things. And because He's the heir of all things, we should be a good steward of all things. But notice also that He's more than just the heir. Even though God appointed him to be an heir, which is reason enough, by the way. But he is heir because he is also creator of all things. Look at verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. The world's. I love, I love speaking about creation. If you know, Genesis is one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible to preach from, especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I love preaching about our Creator. I think it's uniquely retired to our Redeemer. I don't think you can have a Redeemer who is not our Creator. And throughout the majority of the church age, surprisingly enough and thankfully enough, belief in special creation, as stated in Genesis, is, is a common thing. It was the norm. It's only been within the last couple hundred years did God's word on creation, did God's word on creation take a backseat to man's word on creation. Now, of course, there have been some naysayers along, all along the way, but I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about Christians believing or not believing in creation. But regardless of what we think, the Bible states that God made the worlds. And that seems pretty clear, right? That seems pretty straightforward. Colossians 1.16 says all things that Jesus created, all things that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I cannot think of something that doesn't fit in that category. All things were created by him. And I think the Bible's crystal clear about this. And just to drive that point even higher. Further home, John chapter 1, verse 3 states, All things were made by Him, 
And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator of all. Jesus is the creator of all things. Listen, folks, God has spoken. His words have been recorded. And he states that Jesus Christ is your creator. He's my creator. He's everything. Everything that's here, there's nothing here that didn't originate with God. He is the creator of all things. Well, you might say today, big deal. Matter of fact, most of the church today is saying, big deal. What, what does it matter? Who cares who created everything? We're here. That's all what matters, right? Well, if the Bible didn't speak of it, that'd be a true statement. But the Bible does speak of it. And... Because the Bible speaks of it, our, our attention in that kind of way, big deal, who created us, it's, it's apathy. And I, personally, I think apathy is the number one tool that Satan uses among Christians. Apathy. I don't care. I'm here. I'll just praise God. I'll say a prayer every now and then. We don't care about the things of God. Apathy is a great tool used by the devil. You know, we worry today about so much especially in the academia world, education and stuff like that, about what is owed to us in this life, but not about what is owed to God. We are more concerned with copyrights and plagiarism of man's work than we are about God's work. I mean, we know the deal. You can't you get caught plagiarizing in school in a paper, you know. You can't go on, I don't know, papers.com and buy, buy a paper. I, I guess you probably could, but if you get caught, it's, first of all, it's wrong, and it's, it's illegal. You shouldn't be doing these things. We should not plagiarize. Are you laughing because you, had a, you did that? <laughs> we certainly shouldn't plagiarize. We should not violate copyright laws. Why? Because they're stealing from others. They take from the possession of others. Those things belong to someone because it is their original work. It belongs to them. We have to attribute them to their rightful author. Y'all see where I'm going with this, right? So if Christ is the creator of all things and we belong to him and all that we are is his, how, how could we attribute that to anybody else? If the author of a book today has a right by law, in almost every country that I know of, on how his work is used, should not the creator of all things have not a say in his creation? On how creation is used. Is he not authorized to give us guidelines? Even laws to help us live a life that's pleasing to him? Romans 9.21 says, Hath not the potter power over the clay? This belongs to God. I belong to God. Everything he says about me, I should pay attention to. Because it matters. He's, he's the creator. I would not be here without him. What kind of sense does it make to ignore the creator of me? It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And for us believers, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are his workmanship, that we are created as Christians, a new life, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But look at this. If we don't believe in the first creation, how can we believe in the second? Furthermore, when we begin to doubt the historicity of Genesis, we undermine the very foundation of the gospel message. When we doubt the historicity of the first Adam, we undermine the purpose of the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. Friends, like the author of Hebrews wrote so many years ago in verse number two, Jesus made the worlds. He is the creator of all things. He's our creator. He is, we owe him all. 
I mean, we're not even got to the redeeming part. We're just in the creation part. We owe him all. He is our creator. But notice also in verse 3 that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is our sustainer. Look at verse number three. It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin and sat down on the right hand of the majesty of God. Now go over to Colossians, a little bit to the left there. Colossians chapter one. And look at verse number 17. The Bible says, and he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very image of the invisible God, which verse 15 tells us, verse 17 says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. God holds them all together. Our God is not some distant God. He's not some God who just created and just walked away. We serve a personal God. We serve a God who is involved in everything that we do. He is involved in your prayer life. He is involved in, in everything that you do. Eating your breakfast or driving to, driving to work or driving home from work. Disciplining your children. Choosing not to discipline. He is involved in all of those things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's involved. He's not some distance God, distant God. He is a personal God. And He cares for all things. The creator of all things cares for all things. And because the creator of all things cares for all things, he upholds those things. And remember, by him, all things consist. In other words, they stay together by Jesus Christ. And you can take that out into some scientific realms. Me and Shannon have had these conversations. God holds it all together. He holds it all together. We don't understand some things. We don't understand how the heart beats. We don't understand what keeps atoms together and all these things. God holds them. There's a thing called the God force that we don't understand what it is. And we named it this because we don't know how it works. God holds these things together. Even in this fallen state, the world stays its course because of Christ. And without Christ, the world would literally fall apart. And truthfully, it shouldn't be surprising that the creator of all things uphold all things. Right? Genesis 8.22 says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. It's going to keep on going until God says stop. In other words, the earth continues because God said so. Look at verse 3 again. It says, and upholding all things, I love this part, by the word of his power. By the word of his power. He not only spoke the world into existence, but he holds it all together by speaking, by the word of his power. You know, speaking to Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Paul wrote this. He says, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. And speaking of believers, he also preached in Athens, recorded there in Acts chapter 17. He says, for in Him we live and move and have our being. You know, the world may not know it. The skeptics may not believe it. And the hard-hearted Christians may reject him, but he holds it all together. He is all we need. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. And if he can hold the universe together, think about this now. What do you have in your life 
that he can't put together? What do you have in your life that he can't hold together? I would venture to say as Christians, there's things that fall apart. Maybe they need to fall apart in our lives so that we can depend on God. He can bring them together. We must put our trust in him. You know, the fact that our Jesus, your Jesus, your personal best friend, that he's always there, knowing that he is the sustainer of all the universe. And you can speak to him. That should bring great comfort to us. What other person can do so many things? God is different. Our Savior is different. He is a different kind of man. Regardless of what trials we face or have faced, and regardless of what 2021 2021 brings us to bear, if your best friend is the sustainer of the world, what is there to fear? What is there to fear? You know, when Christ was born into this world, over and over we read the angels telling the recipients, fear not. He told Zacharias, fear not. He told Mary, fear not. Joseph, fear not. Shepherds, fear not. And while there were differing reasons for each of those commands, it's as if the angels said, fear not, because with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. We don't need to fear. Our God is the sustainer. Your best friend. Your best friend. I hope he's your best friend. He is God. He is heir of all things, Jesus Christ. He is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and probably very easily our favorite. He is the redeemer of all things. Look at verse 3 again. It says, After he upholds all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, not with any help, purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, he sat down on the majesty on high. We can go through Hebrews chapter 9 and talk about how different it is that God became man. And he didn't go through any tabernacle made by hands. He went through the real tabernacle. He sat on the real, tab or the real throne of God. He sits in the real holy of holies as a man, as flesh and blood. He's the redeemer of all things. The Bible says that he purged our sins. To purge means to make purification of, to purify, to rid something from something. In the... In the I guess the 90s, what's the Control-Alt-Delete, you remember that, you know, the computers? He control-alt-deleted our sin. It's gone. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. He became our sin. He who knew no sin was made our sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. After he purged our sins, the Bible says, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, Jesus became our sin. He became every sin, every single sin, the past sin, the present sin, the future sin. He became all sin. If you look at sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of all the world is one big blob. Jesus became all of that. He paid it. He deleted it. He purged it. All of it. Friends, there's no limited atonement here. It's all atoned for. Jesus paid it all. Speaking to believers, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2, 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, the payment for all sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid it all. He took it all to the cross and he purged it from himself. He became our sin. So that he can delete our sin. What a God. 
What a God. I, you know, we talked about on Christmas Eve or, or maybe our, our recent passages that never get over the fact that God became man. Well, also, I want you to never get over the fact of the cross. That should never bore you. The cross should always bring you back. It should always reinvigorate your, de your desire to serve the Lord. Listen to Horatio Spafford. He says, my, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Your sin is nailed to the cross. What a God. What a Savior. Look at verse 3 again. It states that Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. I love getting in the weeds in the Bible. I hope y'all do too. I like getting into the, the, the depth of Scripture. It's inexhaustible. But Jesus is the brightness here. It's like we see God at a distance, but yet He's not at a distance. He's God in the flesh. He's veiled, if you will. 1 John 1, 1 says, we've heard Him. We've looked at Him with our own eyes. We've handled Him with our, with our own hands. He, Jesus was God in the flesh. So to understand Hebrews 1.3, I believe in context, God is saying that His Son is a veiled image of Himself. Jesus is the veiled image of God. Remember, He's the brightness, the express image of God the Father. And when, when the author of Hebrews wrote this, the Jews, the Hebrews, they would, have, they would have known exactly what the author was speaking of or writing of. They knew that the veil separated man from the Holy of Holies. In fact, the veil in the temple separated all but the high priest from going into the presence of God once a year. But after all the years of laws, after all the ceremonies in due time, God sent forth his son veiled in flesh. The veil between the tabernacle and between God and man, Jesus became the veil. But not to restrict access, to give access. God became one of us. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us, Romans 5.8. He died in your stead. You know, it's one thing as we as we live as Christians and we as we are saved for a number of years, we can envision Christ on the cross. You can't drive through Bavaria without seeing a picture of we think of Christ on the cross. But he's not on that cross anymore. Praise God. Amen. But think about this. Have you ever pictured yourself on that cross? Because that's where we belong. That's where we belong. It should be pictures all over the world of us on the cross. Because we belong on that cross. He didn't deserve to go there. He is. He died for us. He died for you personally. I believe with all my heart, if, you, if Eve sinned and Adam did not, the cross would have still happened. God cares about every single soul. God cares for you. He died in your stead. And He died in my stead as our great Redeemer. But while he is the great redeemer of all things, he's the only redeemer. All men are not redeemed. All men are not saved. All sin is paid for. There's no doubt about that. But all men are not redeemed. Isn't that sad? 
that God give us life? God, give us life. And people says, no, thank you. If you want to be redeemed, all you must do is call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon God and accept that payment. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, your mouth, and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's that simple, friends. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter if you're from America or Germany or Georgia, Romania. It doesn't matter. Whosoever will. Jesus has paid for every ounce of your sin. And he greatly desires to be your redeemer. But you must receive him. You must call out to him personally. There's no such thing as universal salvation. It's paid for. And if you go to hell without calling upon God, you go there against the will of God. He's the heir of all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. And he is the great redeemer. Our creator. You know, the whole book, I've heard it many times say you can put the whole Bible in one category or two categories. Creation and redemption. Creation and redemption. God created the world and then we have the majority of the Bible redeeming man, reconciling man back to God. You know, we began the sermon this morning with an emphasis on Jesus being the first begotten. It's the title of our sermon this morning. So I want to point out something to you as we kind of come to a close that you probably already know. Jesus is not just the first begotten of God or the begotten of God. He is the first begotten of God. So if I were to tell you that as a soldier, as a 19 year old young man, that my first duty station was Berlin, Germany or Berlin, Germany. <laughs> Would you think that that would be my only duty station? Of course not. The word first implies a second. It maybe even implies a third. Simply put, first usually is usually followed by more. Jesus is the first begotten. And while in many ways he is in his own category, as we've seen, the heir, the creator, the sustainer, and redeemer, he's the first begotten for many to follow. John says we shall see him as he is because we shall be like him, the first begotten. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren, the first begotten. In this regard, and in Acts 13.33, speaking of Christ as God's begotten, Paul tied this begetting, if you will, to the resurrection. And that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Did we get all that together? So Psalm 2, the God says to his son, This day have I begotten thee. And Paul pinpointed it to the resurrection. Paul pinpointed it to him coming out of the grave with new life. John states in Revelation 1.5 that Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. In other words, Jesus was raised from the dead so that we can be raised from the dead also. We can have eternal life as a man because Jesus Christ has eternal life as a man. As a man. 
He is the first begotten of many. Yes, He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The heir of all things, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, redeemer of all things. But He is also man. Christmas was permanent. He is the only begotten Son of God, and He is the first begotten of men with eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Are you begotten of God? Are you a part of His family? If so, there is so much to live for. So much to live for. So much to give. And if you are not, you can be. He personally died for you, but you must personally call out to Him. Jesus Christ, the first begotten. Look down at verse 6 again. The first begotten into the world and let all the angels of God worship Him. If all the angels of God worship Him, how can we do anything less? How can we do anything less? Let's pray.